9, verse 1, the word of God, where it says, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honour Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Ben. There's something infectious about celebration, isn't there? Uh, It's easy to join in when there's a celebration. Uh, The end of World War II was just such a time. Not that I was around then, but uh, I've seen a little bit of evidence of it. It's estimated that 500,000 people poured into the streets of Sydney to celebrate the end of World War II. People shredded newspapers, telephone books, and even apparently old tax returns, and anything they could lay their hands on to create ticker tape. We've just got a little clip. Have a, have a look. At the... <laughs> Someone hadn't quite cottoned on. Those in the know uh, could see that World War II was coming to an end, but for the average person, it wasn't until the actual announcement of peace, until the declaration that it's over, that they could really enter in and there was dancing in the streets, quite literally. So when peace was formally announced, that's what cut loose the ties. That's what allowed people to enter in to the celebration of victory. And our national archives serve us well in this. Um, with the benefit of 2020 audio visual hindsight, we find it easier to appreciate what it must have been like for those people to enter into the sense of experience of release and relief and celebration that they must have felt. Because Most of us weren't here then. Some, but it's 71 years back, and uh, I certainly wasn't around then. So if seeing is believing, then we have no trouble associating uh, belief with what we see. And this is a beautiful way for us to think about 
the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings the things of God alive, makes the things about Jesus Christ real and living. The Spirit of God takes the good news of the gospel and puts it on display so that we can see the living Christ, we can see the character of God in the person of Jesus. God's Spirit takes those precious things, those holy things of God, that's why he's called the Holy Spirit, those matters of deepest importance and dearest to God's heart concerning his Son and puts them on live display in the person of Jesus. Mary conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. Isaiah prophesied by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus performed miracles and wonders by the power of the Holy Spirit. And this this passage before us today helps us to see something of that. That the spirit of truth will guide you into all truth, said Jesus. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that, the fa- all that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. And Jesus was speaking that to his disciples. But remarkably, sometimes in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit actually did this for people before Jesus came. And he would come upon someone, a prophet, and he would give them a glimpse of what was to come. And that's what we see in Isaiah 9. There'd been gloom and doom. There'd been a proclamation of, of um, judgment. And with the supernatural help of God's spirit, the prophet Isaiah could foresee light where others only saw darkness. Look at verse 22, right at the end of chapter 8. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness. And fear and gloom, and they will be they will be thrust into outer darkness. Nevertheless, chapter nine, verse one, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by way of the sea beyond the Jordan. Then it unfolds this prophetic message, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And Matthew's gospel quotes this verse in relation to the coming of Jesus. The Holy Spirit was putting Jesus into Isaiah's heart in a way he couldn't completely know in the way that we know now, but enough for him to be able to speak out a message of truth that amidst the gloom of judgment because of sin, Isaiah was saying, although we sin and we fall short of God's glory, God in his mercy doesn't give up on us. He wants to, to chasten us in order to bring us to our senses, bring us to the point of realizing our desperate, desperate need. And I suspect 
That's exactly what happened to Nick last night in Ashley. He'd come to the place of realising there's got to be more. He was probably aware of the wrong that he had done. That's why he was in Ashley. I know for me, I, I was aware of the wrong that I'd done when I became a Christian. I'd been involved in shoplifting and, and got arrested for it. You know, I, I knew that I'd fallen short of God's standards and God's glory. But when I saw that Jesus was born in order to die on the cross for the forgiveness of sins, it was like the scales came away. And I could see, even though I've sinned, even though I've fallen short of the glory of God and offended God, he still cares. In the midst of gloom and doom, a light is dawning and has dawned. And it's the working of the Holy Spirit to put Jesus on display so that we can enter into the joy of the Lord and dance with joy and dance with encouragement. So in Isaiah's day, 700 years before Christ, people were still waiting. Just, well, I didn't know it was another 700 years, I reckon. Perhaps understandably, many had lost focus. They were straying from the hope of the promised Messiah. Just like today, people didn't consult God about these things. Look what it says at the end of, you know, near the end of chapter 8, verse 19. When someone tells you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? Do you know these days, we, we, the, you can get the stars in the paper. Do you think we can get a, a Christian column in the paper? You can get astrology? And, and people go and, and consult um, tarot cards and all sorts of things. It's growing in popularity. But the message of Jesus is being marginalised, being shoved to one side. And it's easy as we look around us and look at our culture and say, well, it's gloom and doom, things are changing and the world's not as it was and the things of God are not held in high regard now like they once were. But in the midst of that gloom and doom, God is bringing a message of hope. And even though people today are turning aside and consulting um, other ways of trying to know the future or looking to science or, or looking to some futurist you know imagine what it'll be like in 2040 or 2050 and and books are written about these things people have a career in it but into this darkness Isaiah was God's herald of hope and into this situation today we need to see the message of hope that's in Jesus the hope of the gospel so those who are bound up in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And these these people in Jesus' day had not sought this. They did not deserve it. Many of them were bound up with evil spirits. Jesus cast evil spirits out of people. Think about that. God's people, the covenant people of God, afflicted by evil spirits. 
what was going on because they they drifted so far from the things of God. Pharisees had hardened their hearts and made people twice as much a son of hell as themselves. But heaven knew that there was something on the way, a message of hope. And the angels sang and they rejoiced and they praised God and it says in Luke's gospel, and all the heavenly hosts with them. So the heavenly hosts, angels, archangels, cherubim, seraphim, all the hosts of heaven are rejoicing with the angels at the birth of Jesus because the land that once lay in darkness... On them a great light has dawned. And what Isaiah is saying when he, when he starts to unpack this message of hope is that this is the sovereign act of God. This is God's doing. Look at verse 4. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. What's the day of Midian's defeat? That's the day of Gideon. Remember Gideon and the Midianites? He had an army of 32,000. And God said, no, 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 too many, too many. Lest you think that by your own might and power, you have wrought this victory, I'm going to do something. I want you to just select those warriors that go down and, and instead of kneeling down and laying down all of their, their, their sword and their equipment, they, they lap the water with their hand but hold their sword. And after that process of sifting, 300 were left. And God used 300 with jars of clay and lights inside of them and then smashing them and saying, from the sword of the Lord and Gideon, and all the Midianites just went to, to rack and ruin. They, they were terrified and took off, and in their confusion they killed one another, and God brought about a marvellous victory. And Isaiah is saying, just like in the day of, of Midian, in Gideon's time, when the people of God were oppressed and they could see no way out, and God acted to deliver them, God in the future is going to act and in the midst of the gloom he's going to bring light and he's going, to, he's going to deliver his people. Don't give up. And that's why it says right at the end, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is going to be God's doing, not man's doing. And as it unfolds, we begin to see that it's not through 300 that God's going to bring the victory this time. It's going to be through one. And it won't be through... A, a warrior is going to be through a child. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Do you know the... The reality of that is us sitting here today. The, of, of his government and of peace, there will be no end. 2,000 years ago, Jesus came into the world. And 2,000 years later, we are here rejoicing in his birth, celebrating his life, 
understanding why he, he was born, that he might die, die on the cross for us and for our salvation, that we might have life and have it more abundantly. Because the kingdom of God is growing and expanding. The spirit of God is investing in the kingdom of God by putting Christ up on on high, lifting him up for all to see so that all might be drawn to him. And the Spirit of God is putting a searchlight on the face of Jesus so that we see and, and we look to him and we behold him and we are saved. That is why Christmas is so significant. That is why it's so important. And it, by seeing that audio-visual, we could begin to appreciate something of the joy of what it was like to have peace after World War II. And the Spirit of God, in the same way, brings those things of God to life in us in a way that helps us to appreciate why Jesus came into the world. He was a child that he might not be confused as a warrior. He slipped in under the radar. Satan was not expecting this, not expecting this at all. And this son grows up. And this son comes to an age of understanding and, and to a place of might and power in the Lord. But the might and power is not the kingdoms of this world. It's the kingdom of our God and of his son, Jesus Christ. It's the kingdom where the weapons are, are the weapons of righteousness. And it's the sword of truth. And, it's, and it, it's the helmet of salvation. And it's the breastplate of righteousness. It's trusting in all that Jesus has lived through and accomplished and done on our behalf that we might have life and have it more abundantly. So no wonder Matthew says the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Jesus grew up in Nazareth in Galilee. And it happened by the sovereign hand of God. He is doing what we cannot do for ourselves. True liberation lies from beyond us. It's God's doing and it's marvellous in our eyes. But what did this no more gloom, this hope and this peace look like? It took the shape of a child. The message of the gospel wrapped up all of the potential, all of the life wrapped up in the arms of Mary. Whenever you see a child, you see a life that's yet to be lived. You see a life with all the potential and all the future that lies ahead. And we don't know what, what that might be for that child. But we're told that with Jesus, long before he came and with, with, through the Holy Spirit, Mary came to understand. And through an angel speaking to her, she came to understand that the one born in her was, was of God. God's son from the house of David. The child prophet Samuel had anointed David as king. And, and God was going to use a child again to bring about his purposes. And he, and, and he was going to anoint the world with hope and with joy and with peace. 
So let me return to the audio-visual analogy. Has God, by his spirit, begun to reveal the meaning of Jesus Christ to you? Has the significance of Christmas dawned on you yet? Will you open your heart to God and allow him to show you why a son is born to us, why a child is given, and how the government could be on his shoulders, and how of the increase of his government and of peace there could be no end? how that can be true for you. Will you cry out to God and ask him to make these things real to you? Do you begin to see what happens when this child grows up now? Despised and rejected. But what we intended for harm, God intended for good. What we took into our own hands through laying our hands upon Jesus and through wicked hands crucifying him. God has raised him from the dead. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. God raised him from the dead. He was crucified, died and was buried. Look what what Paul writes to the Corinthians. He says, what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve and after that he appeared to more than 500 at the one time. Most of them are still living, though some have fallen asleep. That's the hope of the gospel. That's what Isaiah saw. And in the midst of the people that he's ministering to who are despairing, he's saying, God isn't going to just punish you for your sin. In the midst of afflicting you, he wants you to wake up. Arise from the sleeper. Arise from the dead, O sleeper, and Christ will shine on you. Wake up and see and behold the light. That's the message of the gospel. That's the meaning of Christmas. That's the hope that we share. And as we come uh, this day, we celebrate in that life, that joy, that strength. When that light comes into our heart, it just turns on many things. It turns on feelings. Feelings that might have been shut down for a long time. Turns on feelings of joyfulness, of privilege. We could see what the end of World War II could do for some people. How much more the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We could see what a transitory peace brought to some people, dancing in the streets. How much more the Prince of Peace, of whose government there will be no end. The peace that passes all understanding. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Not a vain hope, but a living hope. Because Christ was raised from the dead. That we might have life, have it more abundantly. Let's pray and ask for God to really touch our hearts with a, with a deep thankfulness for giving his son. Let's pray. Father, where would we be without your Holy Spirit?
we would just be scholars or we would just be people doing our own thing, ignorant of the meaning of it all or pursuing rabbit trails and wondering why we, we, we come to nothing or pursuing feelings and wondering why they don't last or doing drugs because it brings feelings and even though they don't last, we, we want more. Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you, you turn on the lights in the midst of our gloom and you allow us to see and what we see is utterly amazing. We see the Son of God given for us. As Mary came to understand that a sword would pierce her own soul as well when she would see what would happen to her son. Yet, Father, we know that there's more beyond that, that beyond Jesus' death on the cross, beyond the anguish of a mother losing her son, was the resurrection, the hope of life eternal, a wonderful counsellor of a child, a prince of peace, a king of kings, a lord of lords, one who would not fight in the way that we expect fighting to be done, one who flies under the radar and gets into our hearts through those hidden crevices of failure and deceit and lying and whatever other ways that each of us have fallen short Lord we thank you that they are not just the sentence of death for us from the hand of a God of wrath but a message of hope for us with the dawning of eternal light that we might have the gift of your son. And he who has the son has life. He who does not have the son does not have life. Open our eyes to these things, Lord. Help us to feel deeply in our hearts the joy of it all. To say, blessed be the name of our God. You have done what we could not do. While we were without hope and without God in this world, you sent forth your only son. He was prophesied long ago and he came in due time, born of a woman, born under the law, that we might have life and have it more abundantly. So we bless you, Father. I pray that you'd touch our hearts this day as we go home with our families. May we celebrate the true Christ of Christmas. May we share the joy, the light and the life and the love of the Son of God. We ask these things in his wonderful name. Amen.